Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Welcome to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, featuring influencers, creatives, and top leaders in the Twin Cities. And now, here is our host, Steve LeBall. And welcome to Synapse Think Tank of the Air. I'm your host, Steve LeBeau, and we're here today with three creators. We have with us a filmmaker, Nick Roseth. We have two authors. We have Roma Kalatayud Stocks, who wrote Symphony of Rivals, a novel, and a children's book, the co-author Monica Habia, who wrote it with Artika Tyner, and it's called Amazing Africa A to Z. So let's let's go around uh, one by one and tell me what caused you to become a creator, the creative person that you have become. Start with Monica. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Monica. Um, what actually made me to write this book? Actually, this is my first book. So I'm really excited for this journey. Uh, but it was just because of the questions that I was being asked about Africa. I'm originally from Africa. So I'm from Ghana, West Africa. People are like, tell me about Africa. I mean, they've heard so many stories about it, uh, but they some of them haven't been there. So they are like, we want to know. And I have people who also have come with me. So I'm just coming back from Africa. Um, two weeks ago, Ghana, and I took so many people with me. So it has been an amazing journey on this book. Well, because <clears throat> so many people have their stereotypes of what Africa is, yes, and the first thing they think is, "Oh, you must have uh, elephants and and giraffes on your just down the block from you." <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it was different having people come with me from the Twin Cities. I have about twelve people that came with me from the Twin Cities this trip, and going to uh, Ghana, staying there for two weeks. And just moving across, having fun on the beach, going to the museums, and learning something about Ghana, which is in Africa, was super cool. And now you're back in Minnesota. What, yes. What a strange adventure that is. It, it is. It is. But it's good to be back. Um, Minnesota is my second home now. So. Ah. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Good. You have multiple homes. Yes. And Roma, how are you doing? Where, where, did, where did your book come from? Is this your first book? Uh, novel? No, this is actually my second novel, and it's the second book in a trilogy. It's a historical novel um, that takes place in the years leading up to World War II in uh, Germany and Austria and uh, Italy and the United States. And it really, I would say that the source of inspiration came from my work uh, in working in the arts for the last 20 years. And I was really interested in creating work that would highlight the contributions of many cultures through the arts as a way to create bridges, as a way to create understanding, and as a way to eliminate stereotypes about different countries. Okay, the same thing that uh, Monica's up to. In, in, with a different uh, approach. Right, well, you're much, you have like 200 more pages. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of the approach. And then Nick Roseth, how did you become a creator? I don't think that's your original profession, is it? Uh, no, I'm in the tech space, um, but I would say I've been a creator kind of all my life. You know, back in the back in the 
old days uh, drawing and then uh, I've been into I spent a lot of time uh, in music writing music and creating in that space and I think that I really kind of need to be creating um, so you know looking at film as a medium is kind of that crossover of the audio and the visual and storytelling and narrative and a documentary got started when I was part of this community and I started to appreciate it more and more and then I became an advocate for it and I saw the opportunity to tell a really cool story that uh, that quite frankly most people don't know about which is that we have a really amazing entrepreneurial community here in Minnesota um, so that's kind of I saw the gap and I saw the opportunity to create a story and really pushed myself to find ways to make that story interesting so people um, could be educated on it. So that's what we have in common. There are people out there that don't know about things, and we need insiders to, to let them know. I mean, I, I don't know much about the tech space. I, I've never been to Africa, and I wasn't around in the pre-World War II Europe. So, so what, what do I know? And um, what people do is, uh, when they first developed the mass communications studies in the early 20th centuries, they tried to figure out what, what, uh, what value or what harm that comes from movies and things. And it's good and bad, because if you've never been somewhere, all you know is what you see in the movies or on TV or in the radio or what you hear your friends. And a lot of that can be distorted. So, um, uh, uh, Monica, I think... Probably there's more ignorance about Africa than everything else put together. Right. Because, uh, well, historically, dark the dark continent, which is like unknown. It's it's a in the map it would just like be a big gaping hole. Right. But it's it's huge. There's uh, what the second largest continent in the world. Yeah, it is the second largest with uh, 54 countries. So I mean, I have people ask me like, "You are from Africa?" I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm from Ghana, just one of the 54 countries." In the continent. So, yes, there is many misconceptions about it, but um, I think this book is not just a children's book. Even adults can learn about I, it. I read it. Yeah, you read it. <laughs> when we were at Little Africa, I had somebody help me to pronounce, uh, help them to pronounce some of the words. So, I think it was really amazing that even adults are getting to the book. Well, right, because there's so much we don't know exactly. and, and we learn. But yet, uh, American culture, I mean, if you take the African out of it, there's a lot going to be missing. We miss rock and roll and blues and jazz and, and uh, not to mention a lot of popular theater right. and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of our language, a lot of our um, approaches. Um, even jazz improvisation is a, is a thing of its own to, uh, that's, that's kind of contrary to a lot of the old mm-hmm. uh, European modes. I mean, I remember reading that, that Mozart and Beethoven, they would improvise when they were you know, at home doodling around, but then they'd write it down, and then you had to play exactly note for note. I got frozen in after that. So I, I see you have a quote, uh, Roma, of Beethoven in the front of your book. I do, I do. What, do you remember it, or do I have to look it up? Why don't you read it, and then I'll tell you why Beethoven okay. is such an important character in the book. All right, music is one of is the one incorporeal. Did I pronounce that? Yes, in, incorporeal. Yeah. Entrance into the higher world of knowledge, which comprehends mankind, but which mankind cannot comprehend. Ooh, now that's deep. Yes, that's very deep. I mean, mankind can't comprehend it, but Beethoven can. Right. 
So let me tell you a little bit. So the story of A Symphony of Rivals is the story of Alejandra Morrison, who pursues her dream of becoming a symphonic conductor at an unfortunate time when music and the arts are falling under the influence of Nazism. But through her devotion to music and Beethoven's legacy, she finds a measure of hope and strength. So when I was doing the research for the book, because I did a lot of research on a lot of musicians, I wanted to highlight a German composer who who was unique, obviously not only because of his uh, musical genius, but Beethoven came to the forefront because of his love of humanity. So his character in the book sort of plays against what's happening with Nazism, with the ideologies that are happening with Nazism. So he's kind of like the moral compass that guides, you know, and inspires Alejandra throughout the story, throughout her her time in um, Berlin, Germany, and in Austria and in other places. So... Um, and, and the reason also for choosing music, uh, as uh, music is a big part of the book, is because I feel that music is transcendental. Uh, what do you mean transcendental? Well, for instance, t- t- you think about all these terrible things, d- dark periods in history like World War II. But yet today, uh, we can enjoy the legacy of many artists who created their work, you know, maybe 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And we enjoying them. It it has their music has transcended time. It brings people together and it brings uh, people together not just within this world today, but across time. That's why I believe that music is transcendental mm. and that's why I believe that music was so important to highlight in the book. So readers get the opportunity to um, each chapter in the book is titled with a musical composition that is that is part of the story, that either is inspiration of the characters or, uh, and so readers also get the opportunity to listen to the music, kind of do a, a for a multimedia um, opportunity for them to read the book and if they want to listen to the music. So, you can, so as can, you come to each chapter, you can put on a different... Yes, uh, yes. I was going to say a different cut, but that's right. fashion recordings. They can, yes. Different, uh, and I think the inspiration came for that came, I'm also a composer. So for my first book, I included a CD with my own original oh. compositions that goes with the with the narrative. In the second book, I included a couple of my compositions, but also, again, highlighting the contributions of other composers, including women composers, and not just classical music, but anything from jazz to opera to um, classical and to just popular music. So well, I, a, lot, I, a lot happening. I, I'm one of those, those guys, I cannot think of a single woman composer. Oh, well, Isn't that it, terrible? Yeah, Fanny Mendelssohn, for instance. Fanny Mendelssohn? Yes. Like her husband was yes. the other Mendelssohn? No, it was the her Felix? brother. It was her brother. Oh, it Felix was her and brother. Fanny. Yes, Felix and Fanny. Wow. And in fact, she wrote over 400 compositions, but many times they had to be uh, either recorded or presented by her brother just because of the times. But I also oh. highlight not just women composers, but women conductors, but also men composers and men mm. conductors, including obviously Mozart and Beethoven. Wow. Well, I suppose that's one advantage of film is you can just put the music in there as part of the soundtrack. Ex- yes. And yes. Uh, it can set the mood for better or for worse. You can tell what's going to happen. But I don't know uh, how much drama do you have in your documentary? Uh, there's not a lot of drama, but I, um, coming from a lot, 
huge love of music and writing music myself. Well, I, you're a creator in that aspect too. Yes. So I, I really, um, what drives a lot of the story and the emotion uh, is the music that's behind it. Mm. And so you really, making a documentary is, is, is very interesting because it's not like you, you at least have an idea when you go into it, but you don't have everything written when you go to shoot. You just ask people questions and then the story kind of comes out of that. And It's a discovered story. Yeah. And so as you discover that story and you hook into the right people with the right attitude, you put music behind that and that's what really drives it. So documentary is generally a, a little bit of a, um, a way to explain to people that we're not just a flyover. So it's got some, atti- <laughs> it's got some attitude to it, uh, and it and a lot of that's driven by the music. So when we did the original uh, full film uh, released in 2016, uh, we had local hip-hop group Doomtree uh, do the music. So we had oh. Dessa. Dessa actually narrated it, um, did a wonderful job, but it was it was all about how do we present this attitude that uh, that we're not a flyover. We actually have a lot of really great stuff going on in this community, and, and you see that again and again with more and more articles coming out more activity happening in this entrepreneurial ecosystem. We have these two uh, programs from Techstars, one of a few in the world that actually has uh, multiple programs in a single market, especially- We have the Target Techstars, which is a Target as a retail accelerator. Retail accelerator at Target. And then we have the Farm to Fork uh, accelerator. Farm to Fork. So Farm to Fork is focused on Everything from basically agriculture um, to food. So, how do we uh, how do we make uh, the crops and and grow them and then distribute them and in the supply chain and then how are we getting that actually to uh, you know the table at the restaurant onto our fork. Yep. So farm to fork is uh, has um, I believe it's nine companies that uh, are involved in the supply chain from the farm to the fork. And so so are, it's like there are nine steps between uh, planting the seed and well, they, chewing? They, 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 uh, each of them is solving very interesting problems. So uh, one is called Trade Lanes, and they are trying to find efficiency and more digital technology-focused ways to get containers you know, uh, shipped. And uh, there's still a lot of manual paperwork in that. Um, so they are finding ways to create efficiencies with what is an otherwise extremely complex. Because I'm hungry now, I want my food right away. Right. So yeah. And, and a lot of this, me. get it to me. And a lot of this, you know, stuff goes around the world. You know, Cargill is is uh, one of the biggest food companies in the planet. Right. One of the. And they, you know, they obviously they feed a, a, a significant portion of the world, and they have uh, a vested interest in making sure that they are innovating in ways to get their crops to other places. Hmm. Boy, I'm anxious to see this this film. I know your first film, which was basically about Minnesota's technology history and, and, and current events and maybe even to the future, but there's a lot of technology that it's so hard for the average person to put their head around, you know, computers. Finally, we have computers, you know, well, in our, in our phones and, and uh, on our, our desktops and laptops. But see, now you're talking food. I can relate to food, and in fact, um, that's one of the things. So I think, Mon- or, or uh, Monica, in your book, I think you have some food yes. from Africa. What yes. can you tell me? 
inform me. I'm ignorant about African food. Yes. So African food, uh, it depends on where you find yourself. So if you go to the western part of Africa, where where I come from, we share similar food. So if you go to Nigeria, if you go to Gambia, on the west coast, we share similar food. So you're going to have jollof. Jollof is like rice, but it's made with uh, tomatoes, uh, like tomatoes. So uh, the color changes from white rice to like a yellowish rice. Mm. It's very popular on the continent. Um, also, Did you bring any? I can make you some. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sounding good. It sounds good. It sounds really good. Uh, so that's one of the popular food where you go to the West West uh, West Coast. But if you go to the East Side, uh, you're going to have different food. You're going to have food like, um, with the Kenyans, they have food like Kigali. So that's made up of kind of a grain, kind of corn. So it, it's fermented over time, and then it's made into a delicious food. Gosh. So there's different kinds of food that people like. Uh, so I said ugali, jollof rice, ankara, sambusa, you know, it's very popular uh, here in uh, the Somali community. So if you go to the eastern side of Africa, that's one food that they love. So what's the sambusa? Sambusa is kind of, um, I don't know how to explain that, but you, you didn't get some a little Africa? Oh, was it the the, uh, yes. the little wrapped? Wrapped. That's okay. Samosa. The samosa, maybe it's yeah. also called. Yes. Yes, I did have one. I bought two. One for my wife. Yes, that's what I'm talking so about. So I would be a good husband. <laughs> <laughs> samosa. Yes. So, so, so those yes. are good. So that's that's really popular too uh, among Africans. So w- because there are so many Somalians in town, we have a lot of Somali food. Yes. Are there many uh, people from Ghana in the Twin Cities? Can you find Ghana food? Is there a Ghana restaurant? The, uh, there is no Ghana restaurant, but you can always have Ghana food at Ghanaian events. So that's where we have Ghana oh. food. But if you go to uh, Brooklyn Park, you're going to have a lot of Liberian food. So oh, it's, Liberian. Yeah, so they, they also make jollof. So that's you can get jollof rice from Liberian, and it's still good jollof rice. Is Brooklyn Park little Liberia? I, I would say so. Um, um, there's so many Liberians in Brooklyn Park, so you can say that. Okay. Gosh. See, I need to go to Brooklyn Park. We're talking about Africa yeah, and, and Brooklyn uh, Boulevard. There's a lot of food. Pre World War II Europe. And yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Gosh. So, how did you happen to come to uh, flyover country? People, how come you didn't go to the coasts? Mm, it, interesting. There's okay. America has New York and Los Angeles and there's what maybe Chicago. Popular places. And Minneapolis. And Minneapolis. Yes, so, let's add Minneapolis to that wh- list. Why did you well, come here? Um, I came here for school, so I studied at St. Thomas University of St. Thomas. Oh, okay. I, for my master's in public policy, I uh, in Ghana I went to University of Ghana and I did political science. So that's what landed me here. Okay. And it's been wonderful. Ever oh, since. we got politics here too. <laughs> So, Roma, are you you from Minnesota? No, no. I'm originally from Mexico, and I came here to study at the University of Minnesota. Gosh. Um, received a master's degree in psychology and in music, and uh, I love Minnesota because a lot of people don't know this, but Minnesota is like number two in the arts. Um, really? Outside of New York, in terms of per capita, M- Minneapolis is very rich in music, theater, art, so... I'm just so happy to be here. I love Boy. Minnesota. Boy, another reason not to, not to fly over. You're listening to uh, Synapse Think Tank of the Year. I'm Steve LeBeau, and we have three creative guests today. We have Roma Kalatayud. Stocks. Stocks. Don't want to forget that, because he'll get mad, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Nick Roseth and Monica Habia will be back right after this. Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment.
And welcome back to Synapse Think Tank of the Air, talking about creativity. And we have at least a couple of people that just landed here in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. They they missed New York somehow, and, and their the plane dropped them off here to the to go to the University of Minnesota or the University of St. Thomas. So so we have the kind of the knowledge magnet here. So so uh, Nick, are you from here? Or are you? Yep, born and raised in St. Paul. Okay, so you're part of the 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 homeborn magnet. Yes, you you got attached. We're also here with Roma Kalatayud Stocks. There we yes. are. got that in, <laughs> and uh, Monica Habia. Um, Minnesota is a different place. You mentioned you studied uh, politics, um, uh, Roma. Uh, what kind of political situation do we have in Ghana right now? I mean, is that an active, or is it is it as crazy as uh, the United States? No. Um. No. <laughs> So in Ghana, we have a, a very peaceful country. One of Ghana is one of the peaceful countries you can find in Africa, in West Africa. So yes, uh, very peaceful. We have a democratic rule. We have uh, governance every four years. So we have election every four years, and then we change government uh, as and when it's needed. So yeah, we have a peaceful country that people are always welcome to. See, we don't hear about peaceful countries. It doesn't make the news. Yes. Peace, peace broke out in Ghana today. You know, yeah. that's it, it's not a not a front page story. We have very. Uh, I mean, Ghanaians are one of the peaceful people you can find. So uh, we just lost Kofi Annan. Uh, right. This oh, week. that's he's, right. He's a Ghanaian, and he came and here he to go to college too. Macalester, yeah. Right. So, I, yeah. I saw so him once. One of our stars. Yeah. Talk over there, mm-hmm. in, uh, not far from where I live in St. Paul. Perfect. Um, and Mexico. I mean, I know. Uh, they're getting along not too well with our president these days. Well, I, I don't really want to talk about current <laughs> politics, but I will be happy to, to talk about politics in, in this way. So uh, the trilogy that I'm creating is, is a perspective of the 20th century. So, okay. and, and I, will, I will come back to politics and where that fits in. And so the, there's three themes to all, all my stories. I'm currently working on the third uh, novel, which is uh, an ode to joy, okay, which will be the final like of Beethoven the, too. Yes, it's the final of the trilogy, uh, and so the themes are music and the arts. That's really important, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, the second theme is the politics of the era, and and the reason for that, obviously, you it's their historical novels. So you have to discuss what's happening. What are some of the major events that that are happening in the century? And thirdly is the philosophical inclination. So I was really interested when you're dealing with pre-World War II and you want to basically write a good story, how, how are you going to go about doing that? So obviously you have to present the history. But I was, I was really interested in, in finding something uplifting to be able to tell in my second book book, which is A Symphony of Rivals. And for that, I had the opportunity to uh, interview uh, Dr. Alexander White, who was, who is actually a Holocaust survivor. He was on the Schindler's List. And I met with him a few years ago, and he wrote a book called uh, Be a Mensch, which is it's a common uh, Jewish phrase, uh, meaning be a person of honor, be a person of virtue. 
And I met with him this spring, just letting him know my book was coming out. But I really um, tapped into that kind of philosophy. So even though I do have to tap into this dark period in history, I wanted to do it in a way that the characters in the book and some of the stories in the book would, uh, you know, surpass or would um, be able to deal with what was happening and maintain their integrity or maintain uh, a good philosophy about life. I don't know if that kind of makes sense. So, so when I think of politics, you, you didn't want just a big downer, right? And so when I think about politics, I, I think about diplomacy. I think about cultural diplomacy. So you could say that. And I'm, and I'm thinking, what is that anymore? Okay. Uh, well, cultural diplomacy. I mean, it, it's a new term, really. It's a new term, but it's been around. So cultural diplomacy is is exchanging cultural ideas, uh, but. You see it more and more because I think that many countries are finding that the best way to tap or to communicate or to contact with with people from another country is through culture, through music, through the arts. Through food. So that's what, through food, food through food, through sports, through the culture. And so for me, uh, kind of tapping into that kind of uh, ideology of cultural diplomacy was a kind of way for me to do that through my novels through the stories that I was telling, but always kind of keeping something positive in the forefront, despite, obviously, all the negativity that sometimes happens with certain ideologies or in, in certain times of, in history. Right. Well, just to, um, to tie it to, to our reality a little bit, um, you can look at history, and as they say, you can find a lot of lessons that can be applied today. And it seems like in a lot of political arguments, usually someone... They, they say there's almost a rule like Murphy's Law, and at some point, somebody will get called a Nazi, or, you know, that's like Hitler did something like that. So it's kind of a uh, the base level of how low can you go. Are there any parallels between pre-World War II Nazi Germany and America today? Well, I was actually asked that question in a Q&A with uh, Howard Lobby, and so my answer to that was, I would, I will let readers decide oh. when they read. No, no, this is why. See, then you got to go buy the book. And well, no, because it and... because it's the whole point. It's it's not up to me to tell people what they should okay, think. Okay, so you 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 grant the intelligence to the reader. Right. They, they they can decide. They can decide whether there are parallels or not. But it's not up to me. That is not my intention. Okay. That is not my intent. So you didn't to, write your between the lines. No, it's not my intent to do that. My intent is to present history as it was, and uh, and then then readers can decide what they want to decide. Okay. That, now that's called diplomacy. Right? <laughs> exactly. So, so I'm a good diplomat. <laughs> no. I, love, I love I love that approach. I'm a, I'm a huge history um, buff, and I love uh, all forms of different history. Uh, World War One and World War Two are both extremely fascinating for me. I've read yes. many books on on them, and those in in between years um, were were some of like the world's most interesting growing pains as it went, like as innovation and technology started to take hold, because at the beginning of uh, the 20th century, you got the car, you got, you know, phones, you got a lot of things that started to really kind of click and come together. And then you had this massive, uh, you, you had a massive kind of war in, in uh, the first world war. And then that transition in the twenties and thirties, 
everything really changed. And and you talk about, you know, the cultural diplomacy kind of, I think that it was almost like the world grew up a little bit as it was going through those times. So they were just naturally going to be full of turmoil and, uh, and, and pain, but also a lot of beauty in there that gets kind of missed over. So I think with, with growth, you know, through pain, uh, comes growth. And so, it's it's a it's an interesting uh, cultural context that you're creating and, mm-hmm. and providing for the user w- alongside something that's positive like music. I think of uh, the movie uh, The Pianist mm-hmm. um, as a, a similar type of situation, which is the context of a human being that is going through this tremendously challenging time and the ability for them to maintain some of that humanity. Um, uh, there's also a great book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, is another great con- uh, story about how somebody in the concentration camps was able to maintain his sense of self and his purpose here on this planet. Going who, through who something, wrote that? Um, Victor Frankel. Oh right, mm-hmm. okay. wonderful book mm-hmm. um, about why are like why are we here as individuals? Um, but it was a, it's a growth story and it's a beautiful story of his survival based on who he is and his ability to help other people. Hmm. So I think that, you know, when we're talking about music when we're talking about film or books or any of these things, I think so much of us uh, are trying to use what we're here, you know, for as a purpose to kind of help push us all forward in some form or another. So I think that there's a lot of beauty in the power of story uh, which is kind of what we're all doing. We're all creating mm-hmm. some sense of story to try to help others um, be informed about either history or where we are now or something that is unknown. So I think that that's, you know, as as pulling this back to Synapse and what you are trying to do to kind of pull people together in different contexts, I think it is through this story that we are able to create meaningful connections to other people. And when you have two groups in different silos, they don't have, you know, that cultural diplomacy that you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know um, what your world looks like. I only know what my world looks like. And so here in America, you see that a lot with uh, things like cities. Cities were created and it kind of had to, you people, everybody had to kind of deal with the other people. And so you see a lot of, when you see isolation uh, somewhere else, then you don't see people getting along and being very open to that. But if you are in, if you're in Amsterdam, I was in Amsterdam a few weeks ago. I mean, there is everybody on this planet at some point goes through Amsterdam. You see every Because that's culture. where the air hub is, right? You see every culture, you see every type of person. And this goes back, you know, 500 plus years that they were an epicenter and they were culturally open to the entire world. So um, I, th- I just wanted to add in that context that I think it's really interesting of how this, these stories help us learn more about each other, which helps us become more open to, to conversations and embracing other people on this planet that might not be like us. Right, because yeah. uh, one of our universals are, are stories, and um, but then it's like who who determines the narrative? That's the, the, you got the power play, and I know. Something that happened after World War II was all, all the colonies in Africa started getting their independence. So there's, you know, who, so who was writing the story of Africa for a couple hundred years, right? Uh, who, who was the, I assume there was a colonizer for Ghana. Yeah. Which, which country? Great Britain. Great Britain. So 
hey, same here. They, they colonized <laughs> us. We can agree on that one. And, and, you know, I think that we are also kind of living in a time, or at least I'm hoping, at least for me, is, is to me, is the art, creating the stories, as, as you alluded to, it's, it's really about coming together. It's not about creating divisions. I really want to emphasize that because I, I, I feel that there's already too many divisions because of oh, politics. Divisions, right. And, and for me, this is where I feel that art and the film and music and all of these artistic endeavors, food, culture, this is the one thing that brings everybody together. I mean, for instance, uh, just uh, last month, uh, the Minnesota Orchestra um, launched their um, tour to South Africa to commemorate the uh, centennial celebration of the birth of Mandela. Ah. And, and guess what symphony they used? They used Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which I actually talk about a lot in my book. So they're, they're helping set up your third yes. book. <laughs> yes, uh, but what's really nice about that symphony is that symphony was inspired by a poem by Schuler, which is about bringing people together, is that we are all children of the same, whether you call it God or spiritual world, whatever, we're all together in this. And today, and this is what I meant earlier by about being transcendental, so here we are, you know, several hundred years later after Beethoven was born and he, he composed his music, and here we are still using his music, you know, to bring cultures together. Now the Minnesota Orchestra is um, traveling all, all through South Africa on this tour uh, to celebrate that. And so here we are, again, transcending periods, transcending people. So I think it's we are living in that time that there's a lot of us that are very much mm. aware of that and, and want to create that change. Well, I remember um, years ago I was interviewing uh, an African musician from, I think he's from the Congo, um, Rochereau, you ever heard of him? He, uh, and so he, he was from a French-speaking country, so I had to ask him, you know, through a translator, who were your musical influences? And so he goes, uh, this part didn't need a translator. Ray Charles, Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra. <laughs> it's like, so it goes back and forth. So who did you listen to growing up? Did you listen to much American music? Is American culture in Ghana at all? Well, the music is there. Um... Yeah, American music is there, but personally, I listen to local music, so Ghanaian music, and I also listen to West African music. So if you go to Nigeria, we had uh, Fela Kuti, mm. and all these great people that produce great music. Sonia Day? Yes, yes. So the sort of music that I listen to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes listen to Saria Boria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good music from the Western So part. it goes back, uh, Sonia Day, he was also at First Avenue a couple times back starting in the 80s, yes, yes, and yes. it was interesting that he used uh, kind of a um, slide guitar, mm. which we kind of associated with blues, but it actually came from Hawaii, mm. and so apparently the sailors would circulate all their different musical styles, and I think it went to Lagos and then uh, infiltrated into into Nigeria for oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. some of day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thinking about that, actually when I was in Ghana this past trip, one of um, my vision is to explore uh, musical instruments into a book. So that is going oh. to be my next project. So talking about music, bringing people together. Maybe you two can collaborate. <laughs> that, would be, that would be great. So we're thinking, um, you know, with uh, Dr. Tika Tarina, that was what we're talking about uh, for our next project to um, probably a children's book to introduce children to music and musical instruments that has uh, really impacted music throughout mm. Africa and the world. 
Hmm. So that would be our next project. I was wondering, why did you write a children's book when you, you work at a college level? Yes, right? I work at a college level. So you got to get them young. You got to train. Yes, these kids we got to get them very young. So the children's book, I think, is because um, we, as you said, we have to get them young, and we were thinking about the fact that. Um, the older people can definitely read about them or go online and stuff like that. But then we also thought about how colorful can you be for children. So if you look at the book, oh, right. the book is really colorful um, and it's really like, uh, so we work with this illustrator from London. So you can imagine just <laughs> from two different worlds. From the uh, colonizer. I, well, <laughs> from two from different worlds. So uh, Rihanna is, uh, we, we didn't meet her. We just worked over over the mill and then and that, that we have a book, a very powerful book that is very colorful. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that is why we use a children's book to get the message to the kids as early as possible. I thought that was an African instrument right there. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what, what instrument was that? <laughs> uh, take a new kind of music. Digital music. I just wanted to add it for your research. You should check out the... The Museum of Musical Instruments in okay. Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay. okay. Because they really have every conceivable uh, musical instrument right. that you can think of. I would definitely it's there from that. Africa, from everywhere in the world. Sounds mm. perfect. Boy, we're here talking with uh, three creators. And when you write a book, and I have some familiarity with that, or, or, or create a movie, usually uh, you have like 10 times more material than you actually use. And so it's a big matter of sifting out. I'm sure in your novel you had, well, we could have them take a hike in the in the mountains. Well, no, no, then that would turn into this, and we have to cut out that hike. And, and for the, the, uh, the, the tech stars food to fork, well, we could have to choose between three different companies in our supply chain. Which one are we going to use? There's a lot of dividing. And then you had to pick Af- Amazing Africa A to Z, you only picked one per letter of the alphabet. Yes. Now we have three things that start with G. Which one shall we do? I know. <laughs> Let's go greatness. I mean, yes. the, the art is basically making a lot of decisions. It, uh, it is uh, making a lot of decisions. I remember the first uh, first piece, it was like a lot. And then we actually we actually wanted to downside because we didn't want the children to have a lot to think about, like three different things to have on one letter. So that's how come we chose one per each letter. But going forward, we're gonna work on like, for example, Amazon, Algeria. So that's a country in uh, Africa. Talk about that in extensive way. So Amazing Ghana, Amazing Nigeria, talk about different ah. countries. So that will be like a next uh, step to this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're gonna get back to more amazing facts and figures right. when we return to Synapse Think Tank of the Air. Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back once again with Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, talking with uh, Roma Kalatayud Stocks. That must be your husband's name, Stocks. Yes. I, I say that. <laughs> Local. Although, although your name is much more musical than his. Yes. Stocks, kind of. That's why I kept it. <laughs> rocks, locks. Uh, who wrote uh, Symphony of Rivals. Uh, novel that's just out, and we have with us Monica Habia, who wrote, co-wrote a book with Artika Tyner, both over at the University of St. Thomas, Amazing Africa A to Z, so it's a, uh, it's a children's book, which means that I can read it, and then we have with us Nick Roseth, who uh, 
um, made a big splash a couple years back with the original documentary uh, film about Minnesota's tech world and kind of a tech subculture. And now you're doing a sub-subculture. Even within the tech world, there's the, uh, the, the, the world of food to fork and the tech stars. Now, I don't think of food and farming as a tech thing, but is it? Uh, what well, are the digits? Yeah, it's it's becoming more and more uh, leveraging technology because I, I think that there's so much that has to happen for you to get that plate at the restaurant or in your kitchen. And what's super interesting is to kind of explore what companies like Cargill or Ecolab or other, you know, General Mills and some of these other great uh, food and ag powerhouses that we have here, what they do to make it happen. And so I think technology is more and more getting leveraged down at the farm level where you have uh, farms now leveraging things like drones to make sure that their fields are going to be, you know, properly um, irrigated. And, uh, you know, there's uh, there's man- water, water drones, drones that monitor uh, a lot of different variables from the air. They can oh, take, so they see what needs water. They can take pictures they and don't they can produce. Dump a uh, bunch of water. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but if you, you know, because of the growing number of people on the planet, because of, you know, a, a changing climate, there are certainly a lot of challenges. Farming is, you know, kind of one of the original forms of entrepreneurship. And so there's a lot of variables and uh, it, it's 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 tough. So technology is being used in a variety of ways to help make it easier for farmers to do what they need to do. And then technology is also in logistics. How do we get this food from point A to point B? And then, uh, you know, whatever needs to be done with that food to get it to your plate. So it's documentary is very much focused on technology, but also entrepreneurship. And so that's the big piece for me is the entrepreneurial ecosystem here is extraordinarily helpful. Uh, And um, I think it's surprising to many folks outside of, and even inside of Minnesota to see all of this activity happening here. Is it growing? Absolutely. The, uh, I'd say the food and- Well, I know the food is growing, but I guess- (laughs) Well, the- <laughs> I, mean, I know the plants grow, but I mean, are there more entrepreneurs than ever? Yes, absolutely. It's, I mean, if you think about, um, we have where we we go back and forth with number one or number two in uh, Fortune 500s per capita mm-hmm. in the country. So we have a lot um, for our the number of people that we have, and I think that that has created a lot of. Um, great management schools that help people navigate uh, the ladders in those big companies. But I also see this wave of entrepreneurship coming through in the past, you know, five years where more and more people are taking risks, which is not a typical Minnesota culture. Uh, we, we kind of, especially, Oops, nah, no. especially with our, you know, big towers, um, we have safe places to work and you can create a good life at those companies. Um, but I think more and more you're starting to see more people have their own ideas and feel the support inside of the community where they can start a business. What about the funding mechanisms? I mean, uh, uh, what I've always heard is that if you're just starting out, good luck. 
But once you've made it a few steps on the road, then you might attract some attention because that same uh, conservative streak. Yeah, the funding um, climate here continues to be a challenge. It always, uh, I think it has been, but, um, you know, a good friend of mine, you know, had said, you know, if you've got a, a good idea and you, you, there's a way to find money. Um, certainly early stage capital, there are more organizations coming together and more ways to support. Uh, the starting costs are coming down. Um, you don't necessarily need to sign a seven-year lease when you've got WeWork across the street here or Fueled Collective. We have uh, now, I think, north of 20 different co-working spaces here in the Twin Cities. Right. That's which kind is, of a rather new phenomenon. Right. That's like that's in the last like five to six years. Um, so the startup costs are coming down. Technology is a huge component to that because it's easier to reach customers. Um, and, and when you ha- are part of a community where you feel that support from other entrepreneurs and you can hear those stories, um, I think that's very empowering. So part of what we, you know, the mission of documentary is to expose people to the reality that that's happening here, even if it's uh, hard to see. Right. And then also to inspire other people to maybe go start a business or at least find organizations where they can plug in uh, and create that awareness so they know that they can go to a mini demo and see entrepreneurs get up on stage, show their product. What you need is you need to, to work with uh, Monica here and do a children's version. <laughs> there you go. So we can start thinking entrepreneurial even in, in uh, the lower grades because yeah. uh, I forget what percentage of workers now work for themselves. Sure. Are- and the, the gig economy is, is very real and more and more people are finding ways to um, exist through contracting and um, as individuals or solopreneurs or... Well, well uh, Roma, are you a solopreneur? Does, I mean, being an author, that's, that's entrepreneurial. It is because I mean it. It all, it all comes with a, an idea, and then you set yourself out. You know, study, research. You were talking about research earlier, and uh, research is probably one of my favorite things to do. You know, because you get to learn so much. I mean, you're talking about some of some of the industries uh, here that are very important. I mean, you can, you go back a hundred years and. Uh, Minnesota was founded on on the flour mills, you know, in Pillsbury. So you get you have to have that kind of history also in your stories because and, and also and also the real. research the research helps you procrastinate so you don't have to write yet because you're spending well, so much time working. I can't write now because well, sometimes you do it in conjunction because sometimes is uh, you do have the information, but then you sit down and then you get this idea and then you go back and then. It's kind of fun sometimes that things that you were thinking about kind of happen in history. You know, that kind of happens too. There's a little bit of, of that interesting thing happening. So is this your day job or do you have a, a, a different day job? Well, this is my day job, but I do a lot of um, uh, volunteer work for art, arts organizations. Oh. And uh, I'm really interested, again, you know, you're talking about getting kids younger. Right. And one of the organizations that I'm affiliated with is Vocal Lessons. Oh. And Vocal Lessons, the um, the founder, Philip Brunel, he's very well known in the Twin Cities, and he started a program uh, that's called Cantare. 
And this is about uh, bringing composers from Mexico every year. Hey. And they work with the schools, with uh, elementary schools and with uh, high schools in the Twin Cities. They compose music for these kids. And what's amazing at the end of the year, at the end of the uh, school cycle year, is to see kids from all over the Twin Cities, but not just kids that are locally from uh, Minneapolis by kids that maybe come from Somalia, kids that come from Mexico, from Latin America, and they're all singing together. So I think there is a really important element, Monica, to, to get kids, uh, you know, to get this education to the kids when they're young. Do you go actually read your book to the kids, Monica? Yeah, yeah I did. Actually, uh, so our book uh, came out like two weeks before I went to Ghana. So my first one was with uh, Freedom School in uh, Minneapolis, Park Avenue Freedom School. It was awesome. So the kids love it. I remember one of the kids was like, I had jollof. So I, I realized that the kids can relate to the book. Um, but uh, we're going to have a, a lunch party uh, here in uh, Minneapolis on October 6th. October 6th. October 6th at Daybreak's Bookstore. Daybreak's okay. is on uh, Washington Avenue, right off uh, U of M. It's a uh, bookstore that is by... Uh, a St. Thomas uh, student. Oh. Um, yeah, so a Tommy, a fellow Tommy. Yes, so we'll be there too. So we are inviting everybody to come join us on uh, October 6th, uh, Daybreak Bookstore. Well, we have the kids come around. We're going to read the books. We have some things to share from Ghana and all over the continent. Well, well you mentioned there's 54 countries in Africa. I mean, the, do, do the, uh, I imagine there's some schisms among the different countries, but is this a book like this, let all the African children get together, the sons and daughters of immigrants? Oh. Is this a universal African? Yeah, it's a universal book. Uh, so at the back of the book, you're going to have uh, where we have the continents and uh, the countries and everything, so you get to learn about each other. So yes, yeah, so it's a universal book that can be used by anybody from the continent. I also want to invite people to my book lunch. It's actually the official public book lunch of A Symphony Arrivals. And that's happening at Barnes & Noble at the Galleria in Edina on September 10th. Wow, we got to write these down. Somewhere. At 6.30 p.m. And there'll be, there'll be appetizers and refreshments. And then I'll have a discussion and book signings. So everybody is welcome to come and they can check it out. Well, that's great. Yeah, or well, go to my website too. Mm-hmm. Well, like. So Nick, you're not having you don't have a book. You have a movie. You don't. Are, are you having an official launch, or is it just leaked out on the web? So it's out on the web. Uh, you can go find it at uh, documentary.com. So documentary.com. Uh, and we are doing a launch. So it is a oh. three part series. And so first episode's out now. The second episode uh, should be out sometime in uh, September. And then the final episode will actually be released at an event um, immediately after a mini uh, mini demo at Twin Cities Startup Week. Oh, okay. Mm. What, so, what what date? Do you uh, know? So that is going to be. And I should. No, it's this. between October seventh and fourteenth. It is October eleventh. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Oh, October 11th at uh, 9 p.m. And it's really cool because it's going to be at the, I believe it's the Southview Theater. Or, I'm sorry, Riverview Theater. Oh, in, in South Minneapolis. Yep. So that's, uh, they have this huge screen. So it's going to be really cool. So the, the full uh, the full thing is going to be about, um, let's say, 25 to 30 minutes. 
uh, and then we'll get up and, and talk a little bit about it. So we'll re- actually be releasing the third episode at that. So we'll play the entire, oh, the entire uh, episode release party. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, that sounds fun. like fun. So, yeah. so that's one of the things of, of marketing. I mean, here, here we have in the digital age, we have two people doing books. I mean, they thought books were going to die. I remember 20 years ago, they were saying, well, who would ever want to carry a book around when you can have a digital book? Did you ever worry about that? No, because um, uh, honestly, I mean, with there's advantages to everything. There's right. pluses and minuses. So, so one of the pl- one of the pluses I think of technology is, uh, you know, when I think about, for instance, with my book. Obviously, you can now get it, you can get any book, but now with the technology, I can actually provide readers with the music. You know, by by oh. tapping into my website, by tapping to iTunes. By the way, my website is romastocks.com. <laughs> so, I mean, I had to say it in case people want to know where to go to. Rom- so, romastocks? Romastocks.com. You, you jump past your name? Well, because I think for people writing it, might have got, gotten complicated, and romastocks right. is an easy thing to remember. So, okay. But I think technology does allow us, it gives us more Opportunity. It gives us a lot more opportunity to look at, at different media at the same time. Well, are, are you going to record a audiobook? Uh, I'm, I'm hoping. And, and in fact, I have a really nice story. Uh, I, I think that there is market for, ev- for, for everyone. But uh-huh. one of the one story that I've never forgotten that has to do with my first book. The first one was A Song in My Heart. And there, I was doing a book signing event at Barnes & Noble. And... This kid, you know, like 17 years old, he came over and he just he just said, you know, I just had the opportunity to read and play the music for my grandmother who could, could no longer read, and uh, but she could listen. So I, I think that technology only gives us more options for everybody. I don't think it takes away from the books. Okay, solid. Yeah. You second that, Monica? Yeah, my second thing was that, uh, so this book uh, was written through Planting People Growing Justice. Um, it's a nonprofit here in uh, Minnesota, St. Paul. Uh, we work on literacy uh, and leadership education. So this is uh, headed by Ati- uh, Dr. Atika Taina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to have a community of celebration on uh, September 22nd at Highland Park Senior High School. Uh, so that's our annual event for planting people growing justice to fundraise for the work that we do with the children's book, with everything else that we do in the community. So we helping uh, urging everybody to come out to celebrate with us at Highland Park, September twenty second. Hmm. So I notice. Um, I assume all of these these works of art that you've created, it's not just art for art's sake. I mean, here you're doing a book on Africa for art for education's sake, hopefully to build a more informed and and, uh, harmonious population out there. And uh, uh, the farm tech, not farm tech, but uh, the tech stars farm to fork. Um, I assume, Nick, that part of all of your work is to help push things forward so that uh, the, the tech world grows faster. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's about building awareness and it's about kind of appreciating um, what it is that we have here and um, making sure that people know about it so that we can um, hopefully continue to grow that community and, and having them be a part of it. I think Minnesotans have this very incredible and unique culture here that we all have a 
uh, a very much a giving mentality, um, and that's one of the really cool things about this community. And so it's a it's a it's a great community to be a part of uh, and to participate in that community. So um, the 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 kind of the three words that I used is to uh, part- participate, celebrate, and advocate. Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of those words mean a lot to me. And so that's part of what we're doing with documentary is I participated in the community. Uh, and then I celebrated and then became an advocate for it. Well, I was at the uh, launch of your original movie uh, documentary, and um, the audience was like a huge tribe. It's very much a... I, a, I think is. everyone you interviewed was in the audience, and <laughs> yes. then all their friends and family and other, other techies were there. It's, it's a very close community, very supportive. Everybody kind of knows everybody, and that's one of the really great things about it is that you know you have friends, you have support, and you have people that are doing this with you. Hmm. And then to, to move on. And then I had a, we're running out of time, but I had one question for you, Roma. You you wrote, uh, uh, and the heroine, the, the protagonist of, of your book, is that autobiographical? Thank you for asking that question, because it's not. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, well, well here is, here's the thing about, it's, they're novels, okay? They're historical novels. And uh, recently, I, and I'm going to paraphrase, but I think that if you really want to engage readers, you sometimes have to go beyond your own experience. So I'm not going to say, of course, I've been inspired by things that I've seen. Of course, the one thing we have in common, of course, is the music. But beyond that, I, I, it was necessary for me to go beyond my own experience to engage readers with situations that, you know, this is pre-World War II. Uh, so, I mean, I wasn't there, but I, I, I could maybe think about what it would have been. And you for me, it was... Just imagine. No, for me, is to the goal is for me to put the reader into the story and, and think so that they can think what they would do in, in, in difficult situations, because this is how you really measure character. So okay. it's well, not So when we measure the character, we're not going to measure your character. No, because, <laughs> because I don't bring in my character to that. I might bring in my preferences, but I don't bring in my character to okay. that. Okay, well, well, thanks for joining us but today. But thank you for that question. Oh, you bet. Roma Kalatayud Stocks, who wrote The Symphony of Rivals, and thank you, Monica Habia for Amazing Africa A to Z. And thank you, Nick Roseth, for Techstars Farm to Fork being released in three segments, kind of like a three-course meal. Yes, there you go. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Well, thank you for joining us here on Synapse Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Synapse Think Tank of the Air. I'm Leo Espinosa. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 